0: Trevor, do you want to talk about a variety of random things such as, uh, making combat interesting, uh, engagement, when to end a session, when not to end a session
1: and just how to make friends? Dude, that sounds like a really interesting episode. Um, and I am only saying that because we just recorded it before we were recording this and then decided we should make it into an episode, but we didn't record an intro
0: you son of a gun You just undid all of the editing magic i'm gonna make it look like this just flowed perfectly into (laughs) us talking about i think spiders in a forest somewhere
1: hey it's okay to not have a plan sometimes and that's what this episode's about (laughs) welcome Welcome to the bards Bards and the bees bees. i'm trevor that's mason Mason. (laughs) good good luck following the train of thought (laughs) Welcome to our Twisted Minds. Basically for this episode, uh, we finished recording an episode and then we were spitballing what to talk about for the next episode, but then our conversation just got really good, so I hit record in the middle of it, and this is what you're left with. So, enjoy! Because because it is tough,
0: like it's hard to think that way a lot of times, you know?
1: Yeah, thinking, thinking outside the box in combat... Is weird because so much of it is assumed that it's going to be we are just going to bash the the red markers on the map until there are no more red markers yeah and we're going to spend every resource until we do that or if they're a resource guardy party or that's the kind of campaign you set up then they say we're going to try to beat all of these red markers on the map with the least amount of resource expenditure as we can
0: yeah, like it it's really easy to because there's so much mechanical space that is defined there to just kind of fall in the rut of I'm going to lean on the mechanics that exist mm-hmm. as opposed to try something a little wonky cuz you know you're always going to be able, you can measure how good you are at something.
1: Yeah, I think about video game mechanics a lot when I design combat encounters. Mhm. So because there's there You know, there's a limited amount of video game quest types, right? There's fetch quests. There's, you know, defend the hill. There are domination where, you know, your party is trying to control more points than the other party. There are capture the flag type scenarios. There are um, do this task in a certain amount of time scenarios. Yeah. You can paste all of those into a tabletop combat.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Like the like the one I've set up for my characters where they're literally trying to stop a ritual that will bring a dark general back. They don't have to fight anybody. They just literally have to run through four rooms where well, three rooms. The last room is where the ritual is happening. They need to get to the fourth room before 10 rounds are up. They don't have to kill anything to succeed. They've killed a few things. Yeah. And they are not using very many spells. And they're only on the second room with five rounds left.
0: They're going to need to use some more spells. It sounds like.
1: Yeah. And I was very explicit at the top of the encounter just saying, Hey. You don't know how much time you have left, but you assume if you do not get there as soon as possible, something terrible is going to happen. So you should try to get there before 10 rounds are up.
0: Yeah, that's spooky.
1: <laughs> and then the pressure is on. And then they have to decide how are they going to spend resources and when. They don't know how many rooms they have to go through. I didn't say that. Yeah. But now they know it's multiple rooms. Because they got to the entrance and they were like, thank God we made it. And I said, <laughs> Yeah. You walk into the next room, and there's a bunch more fighting going on. And they said, what? And then I put them (laughs) on the new map, and they were like, no, what? And I was like, yeah, it seems like the ritual's happening farther in. And they all went, oh, no.
0: Um, I know you've already got it mostly designed, but you should have, like, in one of the rooms, just an elite of some sort. You know, they're all supposed to be fairly small, imps, closets, and the like. But just yeah. like one elite that does have the sentinel feet. So there's just a literal obstacle that can move.
1: Dude, I'm way ahead of you. And you can thank your character, Pip, for this. <laughs> that The third room is literally a giant hallway with an elite from each faction in it. Yes. Fighting a mob of smaller creatures. Yes. So it, the longer they this hallway is huge. It's like, I want to say it's like 200 feet oh geez and each like 75 foot there's a there's an, there's an elite fighting a squad of mobs from the other faction that's
0: four rounds of sprinting if you go non-stop that's insane
1: i i it must be shorter than that but yeah it's a long yeah it's that's enough crazy and there's yeah so there's an elite from each faction and yeah they're all gonna have some sentinel feet for sure
0: Because having played Pit where he, especially at the lower levels, he was very just like manipulating placement in the combats. It really showed that like, even though D&D combat is not like the most dynamic thing ever, Mm -hmm. one agent that can purposefully bog it down and control it is hugely influential. Yeah. It's insane. Like I told you about the grappler I made um, for the the beefcake in the campaign I'm running, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mentioned it um, during the death one where he, he could just one-shot everything. And so he just made this guy with a really high AC and a decent chunk of hit points whose job isn't to deal damage. It's just like grabbing people and wrestling them around and making them have to attack him or waste actions breaking out. Yeah. And then his allies go around and since they're pinned, they have a lower AC and then you just poke him and deal damage. And the whole fight suddenly is like, okay, I want to stay mobile now. I intentionally want to not be engaged in melee with opportunity attacks. Cause this guy's going to just slow everything down and yeah. they win the attrition race.
1: Yeah. There, there are a ton of standard enemies in the monster manual of D and D that are great for like one thing. Mm-hmm. I think like a roper, which are like the yeah. sentient stalagmites. Yep. They, they don't move fast, but they have a 30 foot reach and if they hit they have a chance to grapple somebody yep um and then on their next turn they can try to restrain somebody i believe ryan's favorite monster ever is the dark mantle
0: Mm -hmm. it's the octopus that hangs on ceilings and then just falls and covers people's heads and suffocates them to death
1: yeah dude crazy like, it, it's,
0: one, because it's really dumb and derpy, but two, because, like, it's a legitimate threat at any any level, right? Yeah. Because when you hurt it, it's, it hurts the person underneath automatically for, like, half the damage you deal. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're blind and you're suffocating, so it reduces, it, it impacts action economy and the HP economy with this, like, 8 HP thing (laughs) you know it's so so great ropers are kind of in the same vein where if they get an ambush on the party and they grapple the wrong person it can be stressful and frustrating even if it's not particularly dangerous Mm -hmm. but then you throw in like another combatant that's an actual like partial threat and then it really changes that dynamic because they can just remove someone from the combat and it's like well the
1: ropers don't have to be a natural occurring monster they can be something that A thieves' guild has devised to keep people away from their lair, so they go and Mm -hmm. try to break into the thieves' guild that's in this creepy cave outside of town. And there's ropers out there. As soon as a roper grabs somebody, some assassin comes stalking up to just coup de gras who's ever grappled. Or there's just like you know their their guard is in a you know there's a cave and
0: there's a secret door that goes to a hall and there's just like an arrow slit and there's a guard with a poison dart ready to shoot anybody that gets caught by the roper.
1: Yeah, the roper is literally trained to just grab people and just hold them 10 feet off the ground. Yeah, right. So instead, the, normally the roper will pull them closer and try to chomp on them. This roper is just trained to go, here you go, my lord. And then the person with poison darts is just trying to like knock them down yeah. from afar, put them to sleep, whatever. And that one's cool too, because
0: like, that, that's a clear signpost for the players that something fishy's up yeah you know something's afoot why is this roper behaving weirdly that's that's fun yeah i like that
1: it has done minimal damage you know there there's Mm -hmm. so many ways to tell a story with a fight yes um and like just changing the mechanics or changing the goal can change the entire flow of combat and that that's something i really like to mess with and i'm not always the best at it like because sometimes I'm focusing too much on what the story is, and then yeah. I get to a session, I'm like, eh, we haven't fought anything for a while, so we should probably fight something. Um, yeah, I do that too sometimes. And, but, but when I have time to sit down and think of it, I always try to design a combat where there's something else going on. Like, there might, yes. be, there might be an initial fight or two that's just like, hey, here's the kinds of enemies you'll be fighting so they can learn what the enemy's abilities are, and then when they get to the quote-unquote big fight, there's also a puzzle to solve. There's a goal they're going for. There's an enemy running away with a trinket they want. There is somebody cranking a portcullis closed or a portcullis that they have to crank open and slip under to end the combat.
0: Yeah, like the the big fight at the inn between all the factions was literally because all the factions are going to have a schism... So then they all show up on random encounters, um, and and the, that big fight was to show what things the different factions can do. There's the the bridge snakes, um, unironically stolen from the tunnel snakes. Hell yeah! Uh, tunnel snakes rule. <laughs> the, 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 the the way you tell someone's some in the bridge snakes is because they have a leather jacket that says bridge snakes on the back, and they'll yell bridge snakes rule. <laughs> and they all have a name somewhere along the lines of Tony. Um, and, and they're the ones that just, like, they have, like, the location, they location occasionally have, like, a magic item or consumables of some sort, like a healing potion or a fire-breathing potion, some random trinket to complicate the fight. Um, then there's the other, you know, sort of a Protoss, Terran, Zerg, right? Yeah. Bridge snakes are the Terran, medium fighters. They have just, like, tech to make it better. Um, then there's the super elite, you know, like, Kung Fu masters that are basically the Protoss. And then the faction just has numbers. The, 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 their um, random encounter numbers are like 12 to 24. Yeah. They deal one damage
1: each. Yeah, but they're the, weak, they but they're, is... there's a lot of them.
0: And, and they can be a threat against high-level things because there's rules for overbearing in mm. old-school D&D where literally just you can make an attack roll, and if you hit, you knock someone down. Oh. And your friends can help you. And so each person that helps gets a plus one to the attack roll. So 12 people can always hit and knock someone down, and the other people can just start, like, chucking rocks at their head while yeah. they're down on the ground. And so, like, they get to see all of that, and then now they have these random encounters where it's like, do we really want to deal with 24 dudes that, yeah, they die in one hit because they have one HP. But if they knock us down, they're going to deal, like, 10 to 15 damage before we kill them all. And yeah. it sucks because then we can't run. <laughs>
1: And yeah, that, yeah, like that, the slow introduction of enemies is very compelling in yeah. a combat scenario. Uh, I may have told this on the podcast before, but I don't think I have where uh, my other campaign uh, that I play with people in person is uh, they were in a like druid grove. Um, Where there's lots of like rampant natural magic, uh, like creatures evolve really fast. Um, Because there's just like enhanced growth and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so spiders got away from that cycle. And so the druids in the area were like, you're going to have to go like level out the spider population because they're getting a bit wonky. I, I remember this story
0: i don't think you said it on the podcast but it's a good story
1: yeah so like they as they're walking into the woods there i had a table of random encounters that they could run into and they're like five of them were like just flavor like oh you find like an old well you find this ruin that kind of points you to this area um but a lot of them were like spider-based like you find a group of spiders attacking a giant elk, like a 15-foot-tall elk. And there's a giant tarantula spider that has wrapped it up and is, like, dragging it off into the woods and these other little spiders that are going to try and keep you away from their kill. Their kill. It's not dead yet. Yeah. And I I gave the spiders all these weird abilities, like these green-striped spiders could... Do tree stride. They could on using their move. They could tele. They could touch one tree, go into the bark, and pop out of another tree forty feet away. And since they're in a forest, there's trees everywhere. So, so like, as they were walking into the forest, I set it up as like, uh, their really perceptive druid started hearing these weird like wood cracking noises. And they never knew what it was. And then they finally ran into some of those spiders. And I was like, you hear the sound of wood ripping apart. And you see two long hairy legs come out of it. Then two more legs. Then two more legs. And then a final set of legs. And this bulbous spider body pulls out of this rift in a tree in front of you. And so now they know that these spiders can teleport, essentially, from tree to tree. And they have an answer to the flavor I'd been layering on going in. Mm-hmm. But also, there were uh, tons of other things. Like, you know, there were, there were spiders that could shoot poison, which is an R- RPG trope, right? Yeah. Uh, so there was range spiders. There was immobilization spiders. But I introduced them all one at a time. So during the boss fight, when they fought one big spider, you get when all. little ones showed up, they were like, "Oh, we know exactly what they could do, and they could prioritize targets."
0: Yeah, that, that's a classic strategy stolen from side-scrolling games. Mario is a classic example. It does it. Um, Mega Man, any Metroidvania does the same thing, where they will take an enemy, introduce it in a vacuum, and then the next, you know, the next screen. You have a new enemy for the area and the screen after that introduces them both together and it complicates the the encounter. Yeah. You have to figure out how to encounter it. You have like, the enemy um, that
1: shoots sideways and the enemy that shoots diagonal. Yeah. And, on the simplest level, and now, oh, well, I have to think differently about how I move through this room.
0: Yeah. And um for example, using, you know, my my Zerg Protoss gangs, you know, what happens when you get in a random encounter where you have like twelve the you know the the skinny scrawny dudes, but then there's two really beefed out kung fu masters, and you're like, okay, you know if the players have seen both of those enemies before and they them together, they can immediately realize if I get knocked down, I'm not just getting chipped away for one damage. I'm gonna have this dude hitting me three times around for eight damage, yeah, and we're all dead, you know and and so it it's like, yes, this is absolutely worth." spending a fireball wizard to just kind of nuke those the the, the 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 mooks that way it's just a regular encounter from then on mm-hmm. and that's clearly signposted because they've already seen them and so it, use reusing things is really important it's it's a common thing i see on newer gms where they really just like they see the monster and you're like i gotta use every enemy and so they'll just you know like uh a classic one that actually got criticism was gary gygax himself um with Castle Greyhawk. Yeah. Where its dungeons are kind of just like a mod podge of random enemies in there, which is fun, but then you lose some of the cohesion of a really tightly designed Mm -hmm. encounter.
1: Yeah, also from like a storytelling aspect, it's kind of jarring when like in the entrance you've been fighting goblins. Now all of a sudden you're fighting demons. Okay, are the demons and goblins working together? Are they... uh, like, what's going on? And now all of a sudden there's are slimes. It's like, okay, so the demons had slimes because they were using them for janitorial purposes. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Oh, but there's a unicorn now, and it's evil? <laughs> and yeah. we have to fight it. Like, that, like that's too much to square. So why not just make it all goblins, or all gnolls, or all demons, and just different versions of those? Yeah. like They that's... could literally... It could be... It could be all of those monsters. You can use the unicorn stat block and just say it's a weird demon horse. Uh, nightmare.
0: It exists. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one of the first things when I'm designing like a new area in an ongoing campaign is to figure out, okay, what kind of things are here and what, how can I make interesting combats by combining them and what story does that tell by them being there? If I'm doing like a, an, a, just a one-shot same thing or like a new campaign arc starting from zero... Again, I want to pick what monsters I, I want to use that seem fun yeah, and how they interact and why they're there. You could have, you know, if you're doing a mega dungeon and you want just a wide variety of stuff, go for it and, and then try and find a way that like the players are going to see why exactly are all these things here. And then you can kind of use that to trickle feed in some of the story. Dark Souls and, and that whole genre of games that have built around that have been doing that for years now, and it's a very very fun way to play games. Yeah, and it, where, where people are just like looking at tiny clues, trying to piece together what's going on here, and and that's going to really engage your players because then every layer of the game is being reinforced by the same thing, you know. Yeah, it's it's really cool.
1: It and and it can be, you can do the thing where you have those random combat encounters I talked about, and then let the players come up with a story about why it makes sense and just literally never give them an answer
0: yes be be willing to not give answers um fiction writers especially i get really bugged by that nowadays where they are so terrified of leaving a question unanswered and and that can be some of the most powerful things um more so than just like oh was was something real or not like th- those are lame things to leave unanswered because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter either way but um, the Wheel of Time leaves a lot of things unanswered, and and that's what keeps the magic alive, mm-hmm. right? Because that, it shows that yeah. there it is not ended; life those are, continues.
1: Those are the stories that really frustrate you the first time you encounter them. But then, if you go back and go back through it, and you go, "Oh, like this is really interesting," like a movie like Inception. Where at the end, you don't know what really happened.
0: Mm-hmm. It it's it, it allows the fiction to live on in the minds of those who experienced it. Yeah. And in a very real way, they get their own experience, their own secrets out of it. It has an, a, a unique meaning to them that, even more importantly, lets them share it with other people. So, you know, people talk about Inception still now, what, decades later? People talk about wheel of time and some of the secrets there and like what, what could have been, you know, like those, the, the towers. Yeah. Right. Those two towers that Matt keeps going to people talk about that and how it just never got answered. Cause it's exciting still, even though the series is done. You're, if you're a GM players, will talk about those things and it gets them excited to play more.
1: Yeah. And that can be super powerful. Like, I listened to a podcast the other day that was literally about the study of fandom.
0: Yeah. Fandoms are crazy. Like there's so and, much that goes on there.
1: And they, they talked about like what makes a medium susceptible to generating long term fans. Yeah. And it, it's the gray area. It's the Absolutely. unanswered questions. It's the place where people can make fan art and write fan fiction and engage and ask questions and have an argument, you know, uh, for us growing up uh, in particular as something as stupid and asinine as we tend to think of it now as Twilight, the whole Twilight saga. You had people running around wearing Team Edward, Team Jake shirts Like werewolf versus vampire, like literally taking sides because there was a love triangle for the main character and Mm -hmm. dude, great marketing. That's, that's why people use love triangles
0: specifically to try and create conversations about their medium.
1: Yeah. About which which character is better for the protagonist to fall in love with. And, and like, if you are smart, you will never answer that question. If, if yep. what you want is long-term fans, if you, want a, if you want a satisfying story, you might answer that question. I mean, how
0: many TV shows have been hard-carried by a will-they-won't-they they relationship? Oh, where, yeah. Which is even worse than a love triangle, because you know they will.
1: Oh, yeah. By the you finale, just, they have to. Otherwise, it's, it's just a of how, tease, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's just a question of how many seasons are they going to keep up the charade? You know, Dude,
1: that's freaking how I met your mother in a nutshell. Yeah. Is from the beginning, you know, it's the story of the dad telling the kids how he met their mother. And it, and it's this long drawn out nine season thing where there's a bunch of false starts and there's a bunch of clues and false clues and red herrings. And mm-hmm. then like you start to figure it out. Yeah. E- even
0: like a different writing, um, but in medias Rest, where you start a, a story in the middle. Yes. Right. That that's a that's a trope because it immediately gets people like, oh, this thing is not typical. And and so you know where it's gonna end up, or or I guess more appropriately, like the, the record scratch, how did I get here? I guess you're wondering how that happened, you know. Yeah. That works because then you see this interesting thing, you know, like an Emperor's new groove or this dude's a llama. Why is David Spade a llama? And then the flashback and like, oh, he's a baby. You know,
1: why is David Spade the ruler of a Mayan society?
0: Yeah. (laughs) It it immediately starts you asking questions and you know some of the answers. Yeah. And then you can start picking things up as you go. And if it works well, it immediately gets the audience engaged. Mm-hmm. Just right away because they're uh, looking for This patterns. is something
1: I heard the other day in a D&D podcast because that's the kind of nerd I am. I listen to lots of D&D podcasts. Not even people playing D&D, but sometimes just people talking about D&D like we do. <laughs> um, and they talked about flashbacks. Yeah. And I haven't used a lot of flashbacks in my campaigns. And now I'm kind of wondering why I haven't. Because what you've talked about, like, this starting a story in the middle is much more compelling than, like, starting at the beginning. Because, uh, hey, heads up. Beginnings of things are usually boring and confusing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever started anything in your life, but you're usually bad at it. <laughs> it's yeah. usually awkward. And it usually takes some time to, like, hit your stride, right? Yeah. Um. And that can be compelling in a campaign, but the characters are already level one adventurers, bare minimum at the beginning, which means they are already leaps and bounds above the average citizen. So you're already kind of starting in media res, right? Yep. Um, So then you could do flashbacks to say, hey, they told me this cool thing about their backstory. Hey, well, they're fighting their villain. They're gonna have a flashback about why they recognize this villain, or X Y Z. You know,
0: yeah. Uh, a couple other things for flashbacks. Number one, the system Blades in the Dark is a roguery, thievery, heist system. It's designed around that. Like the the, the party itself is a. A thievery party, and so the party has a, a character sheet that levels up and changes as they do it, that gives them like bonuses to the heist they do. Mm-hmm. And it abstractionizes some of the planning, where basically a certain number of times during the heist, you can have a flashback to say why you were ready for a situation you didn't know about ahead of time. Yeah. Um, which is a really useful way to, to handle it, right? Uh, like we talked about in, you know, just barely that's a resource that you can use to handle an uncertain thing um additionally though if you're starting a campaign um we sort of did this in a roundabout way but you know if someone early on gets like a nat 20 on a skill check about a specific topic like ask them why they might know that that's that's how Pitt knows about gnolls it's how he knows how to speak the gnoll language oh dude. It's- yeah. Right? One nat 20 on a skill check about Knolls. It defined, like, oh, I, I guess Knolls were what I fought back home. Mm-hmm. And that was That's what? Why I hate level
1: them. level three or four or whatever? It
0: was really early
1: on. And it was probably now, like session two or three. Now we are back in your home, home turf dealing with the ramifications of the backstory that we made up at level on three. A,
0: yeah, on a, a random based, skill check.
1: Yeah, based off a nat 20 roll. Literally, if that roll hadn't been a nat 20,
0: would have been an entirely different course for the entire campaign. You know? Oh, yeah. So that that's an easy way for, to to build up engagement early on and ensure that backstory that is generated is, like, organically relevant to the campaign. It's just like, yeah, you got a really high roll on a thing that, like, you probably aren't reasonable to know about, but I let you roll anyway. Let's tie it to your character.
1: Yeah, that's, great. That, that's super interesting. Um I like the idea uh, we were talking about like how to spend resources in the previous episode. I like the idea of having a certain amount of flashbacks that your party could use. Yeah. Where it's like, Hey, we ran into this problem. Can we all vote for a flashback? And then, and then it's like, okay, you have this flashback what resources are you spending to have what you need to solve the problem now? Yep. And that, that turns a possible combat into a role playing scenario of how did they know they were going to need this item? They are going to to roll. They're going to have to roll a skill check to know that if they're fighting lycanthropes, they're going to need silvered weapons or whatever it is in your world. Right. Mm hmm. So, um, you can back stuff up in weird ways and do that you could also have it be a, like a dynamic character moment or a um just an awesome montage of hey you guys are going you are stepping into the room to fight the boss i want everybody to have a flashback to the moment that your character realized that we needed to kill this guy.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I like that a lot. Um,
1: and then, and then the, then you get to have a weird you know, TV shows do that, like a bottle episode or a montage episode. Yeah, but like, but no. use that trope in DAD. It'd be fun.
0: Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um. Forever ago, I think it was um, in engagement, maintaining engagement. I propose the idea of at the beginning of each session, just have each person describe how their character felt about the, the previous session as part of your recap, right? yeah. to get them mentally back into that zone and also share a little bit about their character. This does the same thing in a much more visceral way, right? Because that, that each person's montage is going to be uniquely tied to their perspective on the campaign as a person, their character's perspective on that particular evil bad guy, and their perspective on the sequence of events. And yeah. like the, the yeah. stakes. Yeah, a more
1: potent question might be uh, your character has a flashback to the p- to the three most pivotal moments that brought you to this fight. Yeah. And then, and then everybody the... everybody picks three moments and those moments are going to be vastly different most likely. And, and that's going to be those moments where like it, it sounds like forced, but
0: honestly like at the end of that, everything like really excited for this fight because it's everybody sharing their excitement about the game they're playing together Mm -hmm. in a very very unique way
1: and and to be like a a shitty hype mongering dm and the session after that after all the flashbacks because everybody is going to be so primed to beat the shit out of this bad guy then you just go and that's where we pick up next week that's like the stereotypical anime thing of they're going into the final boss and then there's just a bunch of flashbacks of all the main characters and their, like, heartwarming backstory. And then all of a sudden, it's like, "And next week, on! <laughs> yeah. Like, I guarantee
0: you will have zero issues scheduling the next session. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for you sure. You know? The hype, was so the hype is
1: real. When you, when you get that level of, like, anxiety or excitement towards the thing, mm-hmm. then everybody's like, um hey, I was wondering if we could play again tomorrow night so we can beat the shit out of this guy. Because I just was forced to remember five five times three, 15 different reasons why we hate this guy. Another thing you could also do um, in in a similar situation,
0: um, because I'm a big proponent of ending a session when it's ripe. For uh, ending a campaign arc, though, I occasionally... More so, like when I, I know everyone's got the time and whatnot, um, we'll intentionally have the the session go long to like a six hour session, because mm-hmm. then like the players really not like I want to torture my players and make them feel the exhaustion of the fight, but like it, it it they really do feel the stakes. Yeah. right Um. The end of the first major arc of the campaign I was in, I I didn't I don't I, I was aiming for about four to five hours. But at about the three hour mark i I planned the boss fight in two phases and at the start i was like hey this is gonna be kind of a long boss fight i've got a spot where we can stop if anybody needs to it was summer so i i knew they probably wouldn't but i wanted to hedge my bets um and it was about 10 o'clock and i was okay we probably when the phase split happened so to speak on the boss you know my final form arrives I said, okay. This is a spot where, if we need to, we can we can stop and and pick it up next time, and then we'll be able to do the the, the fight and the wrap up for the story arc all at the same time, and just like the the shouts of like, no, this man dies tonight from the party, like uh-huh, uh-huh. that's that's such powerful energy <laughs> to yeah. get right, like where they're so enthralled that like as people they're like i don't care if i work tomorrow we are taking this guy down Mm -hmm. and that
1: that speaks to the thing we've talked about a million times on this podcast of just have a blatant conversation about something yes and just like say it without any role play behind it just say hey i know that uh we've gone a bit long tonight Mechanically, I think this fight will probably take another two hours if we keep yep. going. And that's a guesstimate. It depends on how long turns take. Are you guys willing to commit to two more hours? We're at the three-hour mark already. Is that cool? And then if everybody says yes, go for it. And if everybody's like, oh, I got stuff to do, blah, 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 then you say, okay, this is your dramatic moment. The boss just changed into another form. This is where we'll pick up next week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to puff my chef,
0: chest up here a little. Um, this, this boss fight consisted of a gauntlet going uh-huh. through an entire dungeon complex they'd scattered up before. Um, with this evil god's uh, Zargon. We were doing um, the Lost City B3 booklet mm-hmm. um, that I heavily modified. Um, he had an entire cultist priest faction working for him. And so there's a gauntlet all the way through the dungeon where every fight was all about hampering them for the final fight. They were using curse spells, long-term negative effects. Just, there was a couple of fights that were just designed to soak HP and resources, um, be they consumable or otherwise. Um, so that was like phase one. Phase two is the fight with the boss himself in his lair. And there's like a bunch of slimes that are giving him bonus powers that a couple of the party members have ways to interact with that and negate those while everybody else is trying to actually fight him fair. And we start at 6 p.m. I... F- We typically stop at 10 p.m. Yeah. I figured getting to the end of phase, you know, those two phases would take till about 10. And then it would be another about hour and a half for the last phase where I wanted him to go up into the city they were in, make the fight personal, see, you know, wanton destruction, see the conflict between the factions they would united against the cultists, all that stuff, you know. Yeah. And so at just shy, just past 10 p.m. on this night, I go, okay, guys. We've probably got about an hour and a half left. You know, the, the conversation I just said—it was literally an hour and a half left. Like, I like I timed this out so perfectly. I genuinely don't know how I guessed so right. Nice, <laughs> but I had to puff my chest up a little. Like, I I was like, this is gonna take about five and a half hours, and it took just shy of five and a half hours. We went home at one, because <laughs> we talked afterwards for forever. Yeah. Um, but, I <laughs> the time of the session itself, I, I I guess made it exactly. And I was I was very. And that that's
1: with that. hard to do. Like, uh, just. As you get more experienced, you'll start to understand, like, how long combat takes versus yeah. how long role playing takes versus how long a shopping episode will take. Like, the more you do it, the more you'll know. Uh, and it's it takes some time to, like, get it right. Because I, I know, especially early on, I planned some sessions for you guys that were, in my mind, one to two sessions that ended up taking eight. Yeah, Um, and part of that is because you guys are very collaborative storytellers. So you, yes, and everything I do Mm -hmm. and you're like, Oh yeah. So anyway, that happens. And I think it'd be cool if my character went and did this and I'm like, that actually is very cool. It's way (laughs) better than what I had prepared. (laughs) So we're going in that direction. Eventually we'll get back to the crap I had prepared. Yeah. And obviously,
0: this is more amenable to prediction because there was no, you know, exploration. They had maps of every level because they'd been there before. Yeah, um, that kind of stuff. So it was, you know, more predictable. But yeah, I, I was very pleased with my my powers mm-hmm. of foresight there.
1: But j- um, like, just your willingness to have that conversation gave mm-hmm. every one of your players agency. You know, because um, because people have stuff going on and. Well, playing D&D is immensely fun. Like, sometimes it feels bad to be the one person that's like, "Ah, I got to call it, right? So having, having a couple times in your session where you're planning to bring up the time issue. And to me, that is at the beginning of a session. Yes. About three hours into a session, Two, if you if you're playing with a group that has a tighter schedule, I struggle to do anything meaningful in less than two hours. If I'm being honest, same. Because um, uh, D and D is a crunchy game, and there's lots of dice rolling and joking and distraction. Um, yeah. So, and then check in again at like the three hour mark and go, hey, uh, here's where we're at. Here's how long I think X Y Z will take. Do you guys want to keep going? Do you want to cut here? Um, and then if it's if it's anything like, you know, if you're going to be within 30 minutes of the three-hour mark or whatever mark you've set ahead of time, I would say just keep playing, get to the 30-minute good conclusion and say that's where we'll pick up next week. Um, but if you know it's going to be a bit, definitely you got to bring that stuff up because you don't – it sucks to be in the middle of a really cool, dramatic moment and then have a player, you know, go, hey, I, re- I really have to take off.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's because it's when you get back to it, you ne- they need to get them mentally into the same space. Yeah. And, and so that's why, like, designing, you know, this was ending the entire arc. This was the end of the module. This is the final boss. Uh-huh. Everything from there is completely unknown to them. Right. Right. And and so I designed it to be longer than normal to give it its appropriate grandioseness. And then I, I had a marker where I could break it off and then easily get them back into it. Cause you know, if we finish the whole thing sick, but if we come back and I'm like, okay, so, you know, if, if all I say at the end is Zargon has slithered into a tunnel, I'll see you next week. And then we come back and they're like, okay, where the crap is Zargon? And I it's like, well, you hear screams from the city. Boom. They're immediately back into the high stakes situation.
1: Yeah you know yeah picking picking a high tension moment to cut is l- such a good pro tip cuz that makes things way more engaging picking back up you can't yeah. always do that sometimes it is the the moment right after tension releases yes is a good place to stop cuz then you can come right in and go zargon lays dead on the floor mhm The city's burning around you. What do you guys do? And there's still something to do, but it's not as high stakes. They know there's not a time pressure on it, right? But it'll still bring them right back to the moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's really, really good um, to be able... When you start to get the feel of when you should end at a high stakes when you shouldn't because if you always on an end on high stakes right? it just turns into Dragon Ball Z where every single episode is so exhausting Yeah, because you regardless of everything that happens in the episode it doesn't matter because your resolution is still the same of what's happening next time you know <laughs> and, and for me I just I get so exhausted yeah, I'm like but... it's not worth it
1: <laughs> yeah and that, uh. that's a lot of work on the DM to come up with a high stakes moment every single session so yeah um I guess to add a caveat to what we were just saying, find a high stakes moment when it makes sense. When there are actually high stakes, right? If they just finished the mission and they went back to town and it was a shopping episode, cool. They went shopping and that was fine. And now it's a long rest and at the beginning of next session, we can figure out what everybody wants to do and go do that.
0: Yeah, in in that circumstance, I I would not try and hype up, but I would just summarize what they're going to do next time that way they know what they're looking forward to
1: right yeah at the the, those are great times uh when there's like downtime and stuff to literally force all of the player characters into a room and say what are you guys doing next time
0: yes asking that is very good because then they're excited and it's their idea and you don't have to come up with it
1: (laughs) oh dude that that's uh so the the campaign i talked about with like they have a map of all the magic items in the area yeah you just get to ask which one they're going to next time yeah dude it has saved me a lot of work and i didn't even (laughs) know they are the one who suggested the map i didn't even suggest the map that's that's a good idea they took so much work off of my shoulders because i have vague ideas for what is at each point Mm -hmm. and they just have to point at the map and say hey next session So whenever they have a downtime episode, they go back to their home base, they replenish the resources that their home base gives them. And then before the end of the session, I make them decide what they're going to do next time. Yeah. Um, and that could be go off the rails and just go try to get something else done. There's some player backstory stuff going on too. Um, so if they decide to tackle that cool, then I know what to prepare if they decide to go to one of these places, then I go, okay, I need to turn that place from the vague idea I have into a concrete idea with maps and monsters and things to interact with.
0: And and for players, um, that's a time where if something, if you've been wanting to do something or wanting to try something, bring it up, right? Like this is this is a... A, a nebulous space where character and player are basically the same and we can bounce between those two interactions at the same time so you can say hey it would be kind of neat to try a survival thing could we do like a survival thing mm-hmm. right you, you, you can just bring up stuff you'd like to try or if it's like yo it's it's gonna be October and you know it, it, it's August we have like two sessions before it's October should we do something Halloween themed we could build up to that now Start introducing undead and then we can solve that problem. You know, whatever. Whatever variety you're hungering for or themed stuff you're wanting to do. I ask my players
1: all the time, is there a type of quest that you want to do? Yeah. And I know that a couple people in my other group want to do a heist mission.
0: Dude, I'm a sucker for heist mission. So So all all
1: I have to do is turn one of those points of interest on their map into a heist. Yeah and then just give them a reason to know that there is something to steal there. Yeah. That is that is so easy to do.
0: Because cause then, ultimately, Cause they are they, getting they, out what they
1: want. Yeah, they have told me exactly what they want to do. So then I don't have to spend time guessing and shooting in the dark. Because um, most of the time, when your players go off, quote-unquote, off of the rails... It's because you prepared something that they didn't want to do necessarily yeah or or you may have provided an interesting opportunity in what you prepared that you didn't think about right yeah and then they go actually that sounds way cooler let's la let's, let's do that
0: the the one shot I, I ran recently um, it was, you know, the one I planned for with the the wizard and the the plague and all that stuff. They spent the first hour and a half stealing the rival adventurer's plate mail. Because I knew I needed a way for them to hate the rival adventurers and not try and work with them. And so I gave their fighter plate mail while the, the player party only had chain mail. And the rogue was like, I'll steal that plate mail for, plate mail for you. And they spent an hour and a half on this massive skill challenge stealing this dude's plate mail. They had a hoot cuz and I was I was along for the ride cuz ultimately as a one shot, right? I'm doing this for a kids birthday. I want them to have fun. I'm going to be like, "No. You have to go fight the evil wizard." It's like, "Who who cares if they're having fun? I'm doing my job."
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, you that's so easy to turn that on its head. It could be like they the end of the quote unquote quest is to fight the evil wizard. Literally just make it so that the plate mail gives them a super superior advantage in fighting the wizard then then none of that hour and a half is wasted uh the, the fighter
0: never did take damage from that point on so i would say the one ac the the two ac helped um yeah. also like when they hit the wizard um i, I tweaked it from the planning session we did he, he didn't do a plague he was just like mutating people around yeah um like giving them freaky body parts and he was just experimenting on the townsfolk and so he hit the wizard and the rogue was just like hey you you just like want to mess with people and experiment and use your magic right and he's like yeah why don't you just pay the townspeople to be experimented upon and then sell your services because like the blacksmith would totally go for some gorilla arms and that's how they resolved the one shot it's just like oh i'm gonna go open a shop i guess now (laughs) oh my
1: dude that is such a good idea for a town right for for pcs to run into they're traveling they're with the caravan they're doing whatever they roll into the town and like everybody's got like gills or a monkey tail or yeah freaking goat horns for no reason yeah and they're just like no no what is happening here and then and then you know, they talk to a couple of people and they're like, oh, it's just an arrangement we have. Ah, oh, the wizard up in his creepy tower out there, he... Uh, if we want something done, kind of freaky-like, you know, some of our fishermen, they got some gills so they could go repair the boats easier. Um, you know, I do lots of stuff, clean and tiny things. I got me this monkey tail to hold the pail for me while I'm mopping. He he gave the
0: town guard a lovely beetle carapace. <laughs> You don't need to buy no plate
1: mail no more. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that would be so hilarious for a party to run into. And it's, it like, just because you ran a one-shot, like, that's a town that could ev- exist in either of our worlds since we've talked about that.
0: Yeah. It, it was really fun. I had, it like, um, the tower itself, like, every room had ways to randomly transform them. And each transformation had a a, a, a boon and a bane. It's yeah. like the beetle carapace gave them basically plate armor, but they would automatically fail any stealth check because yeah. it was too rattly or whatever. You too know? shiny. Yeah. Too iridescent. Kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know? super, super random sidetrack. I was walking around in the park with my dogs the other night, speaking of iridescent, and I kept seeing these shining things on the ground. And I was like, oh, it must be those beetles, you know, that have like reflective exoskeletons. Uh-huh. Fucking spider eyes. Spider eyes? I didn't realize that spiders eyes respect, reflect light like like dog and deer eyes do. That's freaky, dude. So it was just a bunch of big ass wolf spiders waiting outside of their holes that's crazy. So, that is another way to flavor your spiders, is the the party is going through the dark tunnels, but they have a torch lit. And all of a sudden, they see the light reflecting off eight spherical things off in the distance. But it's a giant spider. It's not gems set in the
0: wall. Um, another fun spider one is trapdoor spiders. Yeah those are sick instead of like a, a sticky web that traps things they literally dig a hole spin a web on top of it that then f- catches them as they fall in and traps them that way um some of them even like make their their web i'm showing on the skype camera <laughs> with my hands but like it, it's it's like an actual trap door where like it can flap open and they use like sticks and stuff to make it more rigid they're so crazy because they yeah. have like literal ambush spiders
1: yeah that, they and they build trip wires. Mm -hmm. so the ones that let the door close on them because there's ones that just have a basic pit trap yeah and that's what traps the the things they're trying to catch but there's other ones that have a trap door and they build a false floor and they hide under it and they have trip wires outside and when something Mm -hmm. hits the trip wires they just jump out with their front four legs and just sweep that that's if that is giant size that is horrifying because it's horrifying when they are an inch around
0: and and imagine a party going through a forest right they've got the wizard at the back and the, the, the the paladins at the front and you're you're rolling dice to see who trips the wire the wizard trips it they snap up the wizard completely silent lightning fast everybody just keeps going until finally the wizard manages to make like a strength check to scream and they're not near the trap anymore (laughs) like how spooky is that
1: yeah so the wizard is rolling combat rounds while the rest Mm -hmm. of the people are rolling investigation track checks to try and find the secret hideaway
0: yeah like how cool is that that's such a that's a fun fun encounter because then once they you know once they find the spider they kill it and they do a combat or whatever but again it back to sort of the beginning it, it turns combat on its side in a really interesting and fun and suspenseful way Where like normally that spider probably not a huge issue even for the wizard by themselves they just use a spell and move on but now their hands are so bound up they're either making noise for people to find them and get advantage on their investigation roles or they're casting spells with disadvantage yeah because their hands are so gummed up and they have to find their component pouch or whatever. Like, that's a tough choice because they could kill a spider in one, and then it's just wait till the party finds them and they're safe. Or they could waste all of their spells, (laughs) you
1: know? Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of ways to, like, make things feel punchy. Um, Yeah, there's just so many random cool things you can do just by, like, learning stuff about the world, I listen to a lot of science podcasts so that I can be like how can I make that fantasy? Yeah, and the often the answer is just to make it bigger and say that magic made it bigger and then yeah. then it's a fight or it's a monster or it's a process that happens in the world. And for players just ask questions
0: um, when it comes, I, I'm a big proponent of planning your turnout before it comes to you, that way it makes combat go faster, but what I would recommend if you're wanting to try and branch out on the way you solve combats, right, is when it's not your turn, instead of thinking about the mechanics you want to use to win the fight, just think about interesting things you could do in the setting with the monsters you're fighting, with the resources you have, and if you don't have anything, then use kind of your basic I go hit the dude or I use my trip yeah. or I use a spell that way you're, you're encouraging yourself to think out of the box in a way that doesn't slow things down. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's a really easy way to, to expand that. Cause it's, you know, we can do all these examples and get you thinking, but then once you're there and it's like, okay, what are you doing? You're like, uh, yeah, uh like it, you know, it's easy in a vacuum without time constraint, without being in a game to mm-hmm. think, of clever like neat things to do
1: well i mean that goes back to like the gold discussion we were having earlier of hey we have this gold we keep getting attacked by bandits yeah but we're trying to do something right now and we don't have time to teach these bandits a lesson so unfortunately the lesson we're going to teach them is if you attack high level adventurers they're going to drop a bag of 100 gold on the ground and they're just going to walk away yeah. So you, one of the party members could be literally like, we're done fighting and throw down 200 gold and go, take it or we kill all of you. Yeah. And just try to end the combat so that they don't waste any more resources so they can do go do the quest they're supposed to do.
0: Yeah. Um, one of <laughs> my, my players that a seen very much like this. Um, have you seen Firefly, Trevor? I haven't. I'll have to send you the link, um, but there's a clip at one of the at the end of one of the episodes. They they take a job um, from a guy named Niska, and he wants them to rob some medicine from a train. Mm-hmm. And in the process of robbing it, they realize it's like genuinely saving lives in this town, as opposed to like sort of a luxury thing. Um, so they give the medicine back to the people. And the end of the episode is the you know the the meat from Niska comes to collect the medicine, and they have to fight him out and whatever. They have them all captured. And they set this big dude down, he's all bound up. And Malcolm Reynolds, the the captain, he's like, Alright, here's Niska's money. You tell him we're not thieves. Well, we are. But we're not stealing from him. He can have his money back. We're gonna go our way, he can go his way. We'll we don't need any trouble from either of us. And the guy like stands up and does this intimidating thing, he's like, Oh dang it, my might... didn't work and he just like kicks him into the engine of the ship and he gets shredded. They bring up another goon, set him down. He starts the speech, and the guy's like, distance, best thing for everybody. I'm with you. <laughs> you know, your team can do that, right? They can drop the 100 gold if they start the fight, brutally murder everyone but one guy, and chop an arm off and send him on his way. Yeah. Send a message,
1: you that, know? like, that will make sure that at least for a little bit, bandits aren't going to mess with them. Yeah, <laughs>
0: And if they do, they're bossy enough to want exactly 100 gold.
1: <laughs> yep. They go, we heard we can get 100 gold. Drop
0: it and we'll leave you alone. <laughs> it's like a reverse intimidation. <laughs> it's so funny. Drop
1: it and you won't have our blood on your hands.
0: <laughs> That's. Uh, it's funny, I, I keep going back to it um, but the legalized thieves guild in Cliffhaven that my, my party's at, literally, when they first encountered the thieves, you know, they asked me, can we take these guys? I'm like, you can absolutely take these guys. In fact, the guy says, I know you can kill me. Like, don't even, I, I know I am no match to you. I just genuinely have to meet my quota. And frankly, if you kill me, you are legally allowed to do so, by the way, before you draw your weapon. I would like to point out that in exchange for 100 gold, I will give you a receipt, which means no one else will be bothering you. As, they, as opposed to just one-shotting these dudes. Yeah, I've already to been robbed. actual
1: time. I've actually already been robbed this month, so you can't rob yeah. me anymore. Yeah, they, they, they
0: flashed their receipt and moved on. As opposed to having to have the same conversation, threats, and killing people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a much <laughs> you know?
1: more civilized way to badger people for money.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> that's that's actually a really funny system i like that a lot where it's just like uh, it bureaucratizes it a little bit
0: terry pratchett is a genius um read guards guards uh-huh. it's an amazing book just do it
1: well I we kind of we kind of did this in a little bit of reverse order i just started recording because we were just having cool conversations yes <laughs> um uh, I, and so we kind of shifted awkwardly into podcast mode while we were going. So I think we'll just go ahead and record the intro here. Before we do, I do have to ask, I, at what point did you hit play? Uh, well, we were talking about making interesting combats.
0: What part of that conversation? Because um, I knew about midway through that you started recording, but I wanted that, to know how close I was.
1: That is for you to find out, my friend, when I'm you fine. edit it. Uh, I, I honestly don't remember. I think it was I think it was pretty close to the beginning because we yeah. were having some interesting conversations and I was yeah. like, I should just start a new recording. Uh, so this will be a much more rambly and topicless episode. Uh, but this is how we often talk about role-playing games and like what we're excited about. We just start throwing yeah. ideas around. And honestly, the best tip I can give for you because this is the thing that has helped me, grow so much in the last couple years is find a group of nerdy ass nerds that you can have conversations like this with yes whether it's your D party or some random friends who you don't game with just like have these conversations because i get so many ideas from mason and david and danny that i am then able to unabashedly use in the campaign that I run for them Mm -hmm. or in my other campaign that I run. I get so much ammunition from the players of my opposite parties that I then take to the players of the other party. I, I am a genuinely very spoiled person. I have
0: truly amazing friends in Danny, Dave and Trevor and my other group I run for also amazing friends. Um, and just the ability that I have to just pick a topic and find a friend that will chat with me about it for hours while our, wave, while our wives roll their eyes at us <laughs> is such a beautiful thing. Because, like, I, I want to s- start writing books and writing systems and making games and, you know, just doing creative things and, and talking about them is what sep- is, is able to let your brain separate sort of the ego from it. Mm-hmm. And, and the, your perspective bias and, and really open your mind to new opportunities.
1: Yeah, it, help, it helps me make things a lot more nuanced. Yeah. Because um, we, we've talked about it in previous episodes. We all think every human thinks about things in a specific way. And there are generalities among how people think about things. But your specific life experiences are going to inform the way that you write a story and the way that you think about a fantasy world and sometimes asking for an outside opinion will make your world that much better cuz it will not just be coming from a singular place
0: 100% and even more so just by having regular conversations about that you'll learn more about the way you see things in a more specific way you'll be able to express it um and then when you are creating anything that lets you express it through your creation so then your creation now is sharing your unique point of view with other people. Mm-hmm. And that's such a powerful thing. It's so powerful.
1: Yeah. If you can really harness like the way that you think about things to the most effective degree, then it will make your GMing life so much easier. Just your regular life. Just every, that's every true. aspect. That, <laughs> Just that every true. aspect. Yeah. It's so powerful. Because I feel like I struggled for a long time trying to do what other people did. Same. Uh, before I realized, like, hey, here's what I'm good at. I should probably just do that most of the time. And then when there's a special occasion or a special mm-hmm. mission, I'll put in the extra work to do what mm-hmm. I'm bad at. Um, but it's easier to do what I'm good at. It takes me less time. And it's a better product at the end.
0: The The crazy like next level thing that it lets you do when you have friends like that, that you're communicating regularly with, is you're, you're going to be able to learn aspects of their perspective. And, and then when you make a conscious choice, you can apply that perspective to a problem and then solve it in a way you normally can't. Yeah. Which which is insane to really think about where it's like, if if I need to, I can become a slightly different person to see a problem in a slightly different way to solve it significantly easier or in telling a story to tell a different story than I would normally be able to tell. Mm-hmm. Like that's world changing in a way.
1: Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm pretty like, we've talked about this before too, where like I'm pretty, um, like optimistic about social systems. Like I want things to turn out well and like I tend to have the best intentions. So I assume that everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can, that's super naive, right? I'm a, i am I am aware of that. So when I create systems in my fantasy world, I then go, Hey, what would David think about this system that I created? <laughs> <laughs> Cause David's pretty cynical. And like yeah. I love that about the guy, and it makes it makes him an interesting friend to have because I will be like Hey, so like I, I kinda think about this like this, and I think if there's a religious structure, it would look like something like this, and he'll and he'll just literally be like, you know what? I kinda think religion paints themselves as the good guy, but in reality, they're usually the bad guy, and I would like them a lot more if they were just upfront about being the bad guy. And then I go, fuck. Yeah,
0: like how that is really cool. (laughs) Like a bad religion that's like, yeah, we're bad. We have a demon for our god. If you pay us tithing, he won't come claim your children.
1: It's it's simple. It's simple extortion, folks. There's no if-ands or buts. Just pay pay the toll. He won't raise your house to the ground.
0: We'll even give you healing. He gives us healing. We will share it with you, provided he isn't eating you at the time.
1: Yeah, you know. (laughs) Like, <laughs> there's a couple stipulations in this contractual obligation that our church has with this town <laughs> we'll keep you safe from other demons like exclusively 100% he'll come hey, slay them Gilgothal he's the demon for you
0: <laughs> that's so beautiful <laughs> you don't it need any other like... demon.
1: you don't need any other demons in your life just Gilgothal you don't, you don't need any other, uh, other smucks you don't need any baylors or pit fiends He's got your back if he ain't chewing on it. As Zazerac comes to
0: town, you give us a call. We'll burn him right down. <laughs> or if not, we do have a contractual obligation to, if we lose, he does carry the contract you have with us directly over to him. The transition will be handled entirely by his priests. Nothing on your side. Just make sure you hide in your cellars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the transition period's going to be rough. We won't quibble with you. It's going to be brutal. <laughs> but if you could survive for three days we will fight to the bitter end, which may not be the best for you, but it's the best for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that like, that is a perspective that I would probably not take. Uh, So, so that is the benefit of like having people to chit chat with this stuff about and just go, Hey, like, and you could do it. If you are a DM, you can do it with your players blatantly and say, I am thinking about doing this kind of thing in our campaign. Does that sound like fun? If not, what can I do to make it fun for you?
0: Absolutely. Also, if uh, you want another group to interact with, interact with us somehow there'll probably be links somewhere to do that
1: um Um, i have a twitter up uh i can throw an email up pretty quickly and then if we get enough people chatting to us uh we'll probably start like a discord server or something uh because that's a pretty easy way to organize different chat channels um and and then i can get notifications on my phone and my add brain will actually remember to respond to them
0: same